On May 16th, 2010, we gathered in a prayer service, a Fresh Encounter prayer service, around the perimeter of this building, but it was not yet built. On that gravel was spray-painted the outline of the building, and we began to pray, God, use this space for your glory. Some of you were a part of that Fresh Encounter prayer service as we prayed in all of those rooms. It's hard to believe that two years later, here we are. The elders broke ground, and then we invited you to take a vial. Some of you still have these, like I do in my office. And we were able to scoop up a little bit of the dirt. And on the vial is written this text from Second Thessalonians 3. Listen, pray that the Master's Word would simply take off and race throughout the country and the world to a groundswell of response just as it did among you. That was the vision of this building. More than a building, it really was uh, a vision of God's Word being spread all around the world. And, and this, this building, this project was fairly simple. It was that we needed more space in order to accomplish our mission of igniting a passion to follow Jesus. And so that's why we called it the Mission Expansion Project. We, we chose a pretty nondescript name. We didn't choose like brick by brick or you know unequal giving, uh, uh, you know, equal sacrifice, or come now folks give or something like that. You know we just we just chose mission expansion because at the end of the day this project wasn't a field of dreams. Like you know if they build it they'll come. The reality was they were already here, right? And we had to do something to be able to meet the needs of uh, a growing church family. And now here we are after. Two years celebrating this really significant moment in the life of our church. What you need to know is that historical works of God are really important, and they're important to celebrate, not because of us, but because we quickly forget. That's why Israel built monuments. That's why they built memorials, to remind themselves of what God had done. We are very quick to live in the moment. So today what I want to do is two things. I want to first just talk briefly about the history of this church. Some of you have joined us. You don't know that of the long legacy of God's faithfulness to this body. And you're, you're joining a, a 27-year-old church. You need to know a little bit about our past. And also talk about what First Peter 2 says about living stones. So College Park Church was, was birthed 27 years ago in 1985. There was a group of uh, Bible-believing, Bible-believing churches in this area called the Indiana Fellowship of Regular Baptist Churches. If you go out this parking lot on the sign, it says IFRBC. That's what it stands for. And those Bible-believing churches wanted to plant a church in the northern rim around this growing area called Carmel. At the time, it was about 30,000 people or 20,000 people. And now today, it's upwards of 70 to 80,000. It was a, a growing area. And this group of people assembled with the express purpose of taking this... Well, that's an old photo. Sorry, I, I missed this one. I'll go to the next, next, next one. There you go. This group of people. There you go. This is the original uh, group of families who uh, planted this church. And their vision was to be able to take the Scriptures and to be able to apply it in people's lives in a relevant way. This fellowship of churches, the IFRBC, called Kimber Kaufman, who was pastoring a church in LaRue, Ohio, to plant this church. And so this Bible study was formed with those ten families. And they um, began meeting and eventually had to move to the Holiday Inn, where that's where the church began to take off. In fact, they met in Holiday Inn Casino Room B. <laughs> so we have a... Casino legacy that uh, is a part of, you have your past, we have ours, you know, so. And what happened is that God blessed the faithful exposition of his word. He blessed the commitment of these believers to one another, and the church began to grow. And it wasn't long until the church outgrew the Holiday Inn, and 
they relocated to a nearby warehouse somewhere on, I believe, 96th in Michigan. In 1986, the church had continued to grow over that year and a half, and it was clear that a permanent location was needed. Some land was sought after. And in June of that year, 10 acres on this very property, 96th in town, 10 acres were purchased. And then over the years, God has miraculously, through just amazing stories, given us more and more land to the point now that we have our existing 35 acres. In 1992, First Sanctuary was built on this property. It could hold 450 people. We knew that space as Worship 2, or, or the Fellowship Hall. Now it's where most of our offices are. This facility was um, a place that could hold about 450 people, but by that time the church was averaging about 1,000 people every Sunday. Uh, more buildings were added, children's classrooms, office space came online, and then another sanctuary was built in 1997. Many of you... That's where you really knew and came to understand what College Park was all about. This facility held about 900 people. It cost about $3 million. was paid off about a year later. And attendance continued to grow. Three services became the norm. Um, great staff team developed. And College Park's attendance was consistently over 2,000 people every Sunday. When you look back on just that, that brief pictorial history, and I just kind of recount it to you, it, it really is an amazing story of God's faithfulness. Over a period of 20 years, just listen to this, this church purchased 32 acres of property, built five buildings, paid every building off in less than four years, planted two churches, and gave a total of $3.2 million to foreign missions through Christmas offerings and grew from 10 families to over 2,000 people. Now, like every church and every family, there's great seasons and bad seasons, and College Park had its great seasons and its challenging seasons, but through it all, God's hand has clearly been on this church. It's been amazing, which is why it was fairly easy to follow God's call here and bring our family here in 2008. And what's interesting is that I had a conversation with the elders. I came here and visited and saw the facilities, and I said to them, I, I, I will not build, I will not help you build a new facility for at least five years. Six months later, <laughs> we were having a conversation about that statement because people were coming, a, a church that had grown, continued to grow at an even faster place. And in late 2009, it became really apparent that we had to do something about our facilities because they were really hindering our ability to accomplish our mission. It, it broke my heart when I'd see people literally come in. They'd come into the sanctuary, look for seats. Remember, those were the days of competitive seating. Remember that? Remember that? Where you asked forgiveness of the Lord when you sat down about how you treated people to get in. And then you were friendly after you found your seat, you know. And, and I saw people try and find a seat. Then they go to worship too. Couldn't find anything. And then they'd leave. And, and here it is that, that people are coming to us. They're literally knocking on our door, coming into our assembly to tell them about Jesus. And we simply don't have room for them. Those are the days when I asked you to come early, sit close, and park far. Remember those days? Those were the days when um, we had what I affectionately called the stairway of doom. Remember that? That was the, the stairway that led you up to the children's ministry. And I was like, how in the world do we do this? It was a mess. And then, in order to convince you that you needed to park far away, I way over-spiritualized it and said, look, folks, find the gravel because gravel is godly. Right, that's right. As gross and over-spiritual as it was, you didn't forget it. And that was good, so... Well, our elders knew that our, our facility challenges were significant and they were 
all connected. We couldn't just fix one thing without fixing the whole. And so we launched on what I believe is a capital campaign that was six times anything this church had ever done. $19 million, largest in the church's history. We asked you as a congregation for $12 million, and you funded it to 15 in your commitments. So grateful, so proud of you in that. And oh, by the way, all of this happened in the midst of the Great Recession. <laughs> it's just, it is a remarkable story of God's grace. When I tell people this story, they're just like, what? And I'm just like, yeah, God is just really amazing. So here we are in 2012. It's been two years um, since we began this process. And in four years, this church has grown by 80%. From 2100 to 3800. To date, we have given over 1.6 million dollars to this mission expansion project. And assuming that our commitments stay good and our costs on the building stay good, we'll arrive at a point in April where we'll have about three to four million dollars of mortgage that we're planning even now how we can pay that off as soon as possible. But that's amazing. But equally amazing is this, that in the midst of all of this, while all this is going on, while you're giving, while I'm giving, while we're thinking about all this building, in the midst of all this, this church still gave, in those four years, over $4.5 million to local and global outreach. In fact, we just completed an audit with a a regional audit firm that does a number of uh, churches and nonprofits, and they said that we are one of the highest churches in terms of giving percentage to outside things. In other words... We spend more on other things than ourselves than most of the churches that they deal with. 28% of everything we have here, we've just given away. And it's just a remarkable story. That's been part of the fabric of this church, a philosophical mooring of this for that. This for that. So from the beginning, this whole thing was never about facilities. It was simply about a compelling mission pretty simple, but unbelievably life transforming, igniting a passion to follow Jesus. And it's been a remarkable journey for us to have been on together. A remarkable journey the Lord's led us on for these last 27 years. So that's a little bit of the history of this church. An amazing story. A story that God is still writing. Now, look at 1 Peter 2. What I want to do is I want to zero in, in light of this history, on a metaphor in the Scriptures. And this metaphor is the metaphor of living stones. You should have heard of it in 1 Peter 2 a couple times. This, this, this metaphor is really significant, and I just want to show you how 1 Peter 2 helps us at a day like today, a really important day, how to think about our future as a church ministry. There's three things that I just want to show you, and then we're going to move into a time around the Lord's table. The first is this. This text tells us so clearly that Jesus is central. That Jesus is central. Notice verse 4. But as you come to Him, it's talking about Jesus, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. It is, friends, this is so incredibly basic, but yet this is absolutely everything in terms of what it means for the church to be the church. The purpose of this place is a person. 
a real, living, powerful person. So we gather in this room, not because of religion or because of tradition, as good as those things are, we are here today because of Jesus. At the end of the day, it is all about Him. The text says, as you come to Him. And this idea of as you come is is an Old Testament phrase. It was connected to the gathering of God's people as they came into the presence of God, as they came to the temple, as they came to meet with God. It was used as people drew near to God, as they were, would listen to Him speak, as they would come to offer their sacrifices. And in First Peter, he takes this imagery of coming near or coming to, and he shifts it from coming to a temple to now coming to a person. And this is a really important shift. Because no longer do you come to a location to meet with God. Now you come to a person. He describes him here as a living stone rejected by men. So this living stone, the idea is that Peter is borrowing from the temple analogy. There were stones that built the temple. But when we come, we come to a stone, not a stone of a brick and mortar building. We come to a living stone, that stone being a person. In other words, Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of God's presence. He is the ultimate and God came near moment. And what Jesus is, is the divinely ordained intersection between the need of the world and the majesty of God. It is that sinful men and women and a holy righteous God meet. And where do they meet? The intersection of their meeting is the cross. They meet at a person who personally paid the debt of these people so they can come into the presence of God. So it's no wonder that Peter says that as you come to Him, a living stone. And then notice the tragedy. This living stone was rejected by men. We hear the echo of John 1.11 where John says he came to his own and his own people, his own things, his own people did not receive him. I mean, this is the story of the gospel. It is that God, to rescue people from themselves, sends His own Son in order to pay their atonement so He can confer upon them righteousness that they could never have earned, pay for their debts that they could have never paid on their own. And this Son who comes to do this is rejected by men and women and thereby becoming the Savior as He dies for them. Jesus becomes the place where the sin of man and the holiness of God can meet. So it is not just that we come to Jesus. It is that we come to a crucified, risen, and alive Jesus. We we come to the person who makes it possible to be forgiven of our sins, the person who absorbed the wrath of God, absorbed my punishment, the person who changes everything. So you need to know that every Lord's Day, I want you leaving here more in love, more infatuated with, more passionate about Jesus. I could care less if you're passionate about our programs, passionate about what we do, passionate about the facility, if it doesn't result in you being passionate about Jesus. If you like the forms and not the person, we have failed you. At the end of the day, it is about igniting a passion to follow a person that Jesus is central. Secondly, What's amazing here is the goal. Verse 5. The goal 
is for us to be like Jesus. So not only is He a living stone, but notice what Peter says in verse 5. You yourselves like living stones. I mean, it's just incredible that he uses this analogy again. We come to the living stone, but guess what? As you're coming to the living stone, you are becoming a living stone yourself. In other words, you're becoming like Jesus. So it's not just that Jesus is the living stone, but those who name the name of Jesus are living stones as well. I mean, this is an incredibly remarkable thing to say. Peter, in effect here, is communicating that in coming to Jesus, we become like Him. That means regardless of what your past is like, regardless of the baggage of all the stuff that you were prior to coming to Jesus, when you meet Jesus, listen to me, you have a new identity, a new security, a new life, and new hope, and they're all rooted in who Jesus is. And our goal is to become like Him. But at the end of the day, a church is defined not by its size, its scope, its scale, its money, its programs, its staff, its revenue. It is defined by are the people in that church more like Jesus? That's what our pastors are going to have to stand and give an account for. Are these people more like Jesus? Do you stand before Him and you are thankful that you are part of this church because you're more like Him than you would have been if you weren't a part of this place? Our passion is for you to follow and know Him. We will fail you. People come and go. Programs rise and fall. The reality is the thing that is the same yesterday, today, and forever is the person and work of Jesus. And then, what's really amazing, is this is something we're doing together. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. So it's not just that God does this in one of our lives. That would be an incredible story in and of itself. I mean, the work of God in my life is amazing, and I'm sure it is in yours. But when you put it all together, that he's doing this grand thing called the Church of Jesus Christ, and we get a little sliver of a taste of it here at College Park Church, it's just remarkable that he loves us. That's why when we sing and and say things like, not unto us, we know that that is absolutely true. Because we know our junk. We know what we're like. And we kind of know each other's junk a little bit. And the reality is, it's amazing that God cares for us, loves us, and helps us to grow in the likeness of His Son. And the fact that we get to do this together, is just a gift from a righteous, holy, beautiful God. Every person who has a personal relationship with Jesus, is part of this mission and plan of God. So it's Jesus that brings us together, and becoming like Jesus is where we're headed. So what's next for College Park Church? There's a lot of things that are next, but the one thing that ultimately is next is this. we got to become like Jesus. Just be like Jesus. You want to do something for this church? Just be like Jesus all the time. Be like Jesus. Grow incrementally and become more and more like Him. Then notice where all this is headed, built up to a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the fact that you can even say things like you do on Sunday, the fact that you can even mouth words like not unto us, but to your name be glory, honor, and praise, that did not come from your soul. If you could write the lyrics apart from Christ, it would be, unto me, unto me, unto me, be all glory, honor, and praise. And you wouldn't sing it, but that's how we live, right? You don't believe that, just ask your spouse. Do I live like that? Yes, you do, right? Kids, you live like that. Mom, you live like that. Absolutely. We would write songs to ourselves. And what a pointless, worthless exercise. And the beautiful thing about the church is having been unbelievably transformed by the power of the risen Christ, we now can say, but unto your name be glory. And that's only because God even creates the thought, the heart, and the desire to say such things. 
to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. This is the gospel. The only reason we're here is because of him. And the remarkable thing is this, that all of heaven and every part of your being and all of us together know that as we stand before a holy, righteous God, the only reason we are there is because of Jesus. He paid my debt. He died for my sins. He brought me to God. He gave me forgiveness. He made it possible to be like Him. Look at verse 6 through 8. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. In other words, believing in Jesus, that's how one receives the Gospel. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Jesus either is your Savior or He's your judge. There's only two passes, two paths in life. And a stone of stumbling, a rocket of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So this is the gospel. This is the goal of God's church. This is God's plan. And if you know Jesus, this is really good news. If you don't, this is awful news. Because He'll be your judge. The good news is you repent of your sins and turn to Christ today. And God can transform your soul from the inside out. So Jesus is central. We're to become like him. Here's the third and the final one, and that is this, that we are marked by mercy. The Puritans used to say that we are be mercied. The idea is that you've been marked, you've been tattooed, you've been branded. And, and the branding iron on your soul is the branding mark of mercy. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people for His own possession. Why? Why has God done all of this? So that we can proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Some of you have been called on out of deep, deep darkness and you know where you would be today if it wasn't for Jesus. For that matter, all of us know where we would be if it wasn't for Him. He called us out of darkness. Just think how differently you think about life today. How differently you think about everything because of the glorious reality of who Jesus is. And then notice how He ends. I mean, notice the mark of God's mercy. Once you were not a people. I mean, once you were heading down a path of your own self-destruction. Your problem was you. You were not a people, but now you are a people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the mark. College Park Church is a people forever marked by God's mercy. And we should constantly remind ourselves, especially on a day like today, that without the invasion of God's mercy through Jesus, we would be in serious trouble. So what are we? We are living stones. We're being built into a spiritual house. That's what we are. We're living stones, becoming more like Jesus. And it's one living stone at a time. Two brothers came to our church recently, Joey and Nathan. And uh, Joey came to faith in Christ, the, the older, on the left, through a Bible study in college and then at a conference. And God radically got a hold of his heart, transformed him had a heart to be able to share the gospel with his family, so he did something crazy. He called for a family meeting. 
all his brothers and sisters, his whole family, wanted them all together, gathered them all. It took weeks for them all to get together, but Joey had a passion to be able to share Christ with his family, got them all together and shared the beautiful story of what God had done and how he had changed his heart and transformed him and preached Christ to the hardest crowd in all the world, that being your family. You know what I'm talking about? And in the context of that, his brother, Nathan, came to faith in Christ. Shared the gospel with his entire family. His brother comes to faith in Christ. And it was just a few months ago that these two brothers together were baptized in the same moment. And you may not have known the story behind what was going on in this moment, but it was a beautiful thing of a brother preaching Christ to his family and then another brother coming to faith in Christ. In fact, it happened right in that baptistry. And here's what it looked like. Joey and Nathan are living stones. I mean, think of the gospel that that so infects your soul and your heart that you go and preach Christ to your family, that you go and declare, look, this is what happened to me, and the result is God's Spirit falls on somebody else. Or think of Karen, who came to College Park from a legalistic church background, a place where being real and sharing the gut-level reality of pain in life simply wasn't allowed. When I talk about the church recovery program, I don't joke. There's some people who are in it. Karen would be one. Regarding her experience at College Park, she says this, I was being crushed formerly in the shadow of the steeple of religion. Instead, she said, I found people here who were, trans- were characterized by dependency upon the word, who applied the gospel message to every facet of life who were transparent and genuine and thirsty for righteousness and living with a sense of being rescued by Jesus. She became a member six months ago and has found her home here. Karen is a living stone, just like you with your story. So Grace grew up at College Park Church. And unfortunately, in her teen years, got hooked down a path of disobedience and rebellion that broke her parents' heart and made her own heart and made her own heart seem very, very dark. Grace would tell you, I was consumed with sin. I had hardened my heart against God, rebelled against His ways, selflessly determined to do what I wanted to do and live a life of sin. And when Pastor Don Helton, I'll never forget this, when he met with Grace, For the first time, I remember him telling me that she's so deceived, her heart is so dark, that her only hope is God has to rescue her. I remember that conversation. God has to reorient her thinking. God's got to bring her back. Well, God got her. Grace repented. And a few months ago, she renewed her relationship with Jesus. She was baptized. She professed her faith anew. And you didn't probably know the story. But there was a big story behind this hug of a little girl who'd grown up and had finally come home. Grace is a living stone. Or take another woman named Julie who's been attending College Park since 2010. She knew that she was a believer, but she'd been struggling to know if she'd really been saved. She would tell you that 
the idols of her heart had cost her dearly. And it was through a devastated relationship that brought Julie to a final breaking point. In May of this year, she cried out to Jesus, I'm so sorry for my ugly heart. I'm sorry for trying to do life on my own. I need your help. I need a Savior. And that prayer pushed Julie to ask for help from three people. A friend in College Park, a pastor in College Park, and a biblical counselor at College Park. And to the help of these three people, Julie is well on her way toward experiencing all of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And she has scheduled to be baptized on July 29th, where she will officially publicly declare that my sins are forgiven, that guilt is gone, Jesus is my Savior, my hope in this life and the next. Julie is a living stone. Listen to me, you're a living stone. You're a living stone. And together we are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house through Jesus Christ. And from 1985 all the way now to this moment, God has been building His church one life-changing living stone moment at a time. Friends, church is beautiful when real life change happens. And that's what it means to be a living stone. What makes a church special and full of impact are the stories of transformed people who've met the living stone Jesus and then who become, like Jesus, living stones themselves. So all of that to say, friends, we have been rescued by Jesus to become like Jesus. The living stone makes us living stones in a spiritual house called the Church of Jesus Christ. And so on this day, of all days, we ought to say, to God be the glory, great things He has done. So College Park, hear this final benediction from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. College Park, I love you. Thanks for coming today.